When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to this extra episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. It's been more than 20 years since Adrian Doherty signed for United. Incredible. Better than gigs. Out of this world. Even the next George Best. You could be forgiven for thinking that these claims came from sentimentality due to Dossie's tragic death in June 2000. Yet looking back, not one member of the class of 92 denies such a thing. Doherty was something magnificent, a footballer of the finest calibre. The attention on the man fondly known as the Doc comes with Oliver Kay's book. It's released on May the 19th by Quirkus Books, and today we're delighted to have him, the Times' chief football correspondent, on the podcast to discuss Doherty and his magic as well as Manchester United, and a distinct lack of magic. Thank you very much for joining us, Ollie. The book's titled Forever Young, and the front cover includes The Lost Genius. I think one of the key things I've picked up about Doherty is that it wasn't just his death that introduces that word lost, but also his life. He was very much part of his own world, a, a very happy world at that, but his own world nevertheless, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me on. That's, uh, yeah, Adrian, uh, from point of view of everybody I spoke to, whether it was coaches or players or teammates or friends or family or people worked with him in later life or encountered him in later life, um, everybody says two things about him. One, incredible, extraordinary footballer, and the other was that he was, a, I suppose, an, an extraordinary um, individual because you know, when he was 16, 17 at Manchester United and he was on the fringes of the first squad, a very, very young age, um, far younger than the likes of Scholes and Brian Dixler when they played. He really was on the verge of his first team debut when he got to the team. Yet, at that time, well, to, to give you an example, he went away with the first team squad at 16, um, was sort of 14th man in the, in the squad and would have made a substitute bench for a game at Southampton had he, um, had Danny Wallace, uh, not passed away for the Saints. Um, he got a win bonus, and what did he spend his win bonus on? Not clothes, not putting towards a car, and like that. He bought a typewriter, um, old-fashioned typewriter, and started writing a um, sort of fantasy novel. I've got a huge batch of all his poems and songs that he wrote. Some of them were extraordinarily good. Um, so, as well as having an extraordinary talent for football, he had these other interests and a great talent for 
for writing, wordplay, and, and exploring themes in his writing, whether it's poems or songs or his story, which was never completed. And I just found him utterly captivating. Yeah, it's, it's incredible when you think about it. He, he would busk instead of going to watch United uh, in, in the centre of Manchester. And as you say, he, he bought a typewriter with his bonus. It, it's... It's such a unique individual, and is is that where? Because it's taken you five years to research this book. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't anyone. To, I wouldn't want anyone to think I was working nine to five for five years. I mean, it's five years partly because of how busy my day job is, but partly because it's um, taken um, it's a long time to, to get to the point where, with the family, uh, Adrian's family, were, were keen to write a book. Uh, for there to be a book published, and also it took a long, long time to, to speak to all the people I needed to speak to. It wasn't just a case of um, uh, tracking down dozens and dozens of ex-players from Giggs and Neville and household names like that to people you wouldn't have heard of, people who were apprentices and left after a year but had great insights um, on him and, and, and the apprenticeship at, at, at that time. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it has been a lot of work, but I, I it is a it is a story that I, I think is just extremely different to your typical footballer biography. I, mean, I've got, I, I think it's, it's you know summed up well by Ryan Giggs. I mean, Ryan Giggs was saying you know, you'd look at him the first couple of times in the, in the dressing room before going out to training, and you'd think, well, look at him. Look at, look at the way he's wearing his kit. Look at the way he's got his hair. He doesn't look like a footballer. Um, what to do here, and that that, that 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 kind of that kind of sentiment was expressed by um, several of them, and, and they basically go out on the football pitch. And to quote one of his mates from back in Shaban in, in County Tyrone, it was like you know, Clark Kent turning into Superman; he was just transformed in the ball. And then, yet when he would leave the training pitch, he'd be you know, put, put, put on his uh, scruffy jeans and his baggy shirt or his iron sweater. Old battered old trainers or boots, and, and he would be strumming away with the guitar in the, um, in the canteen at the cliff the training ground. So, um, I, I a lot of his teammates didn't, didn't quite know what to make of him, but, but just knew that he had this extraordinary talent that seemed to be pushing him towards the first thing. But despite that, that huge difference from what, what you'd normally expect of a footballer, uh, such a unique person, it, it Gigs, scolds, all of these people still seem to have such a, a high respect for him just because of how incredibly talented he was. Yeah, and, and, and some of them question whether he, he wanted it, as, you know, wanted success, as, or you know, wanted to be a footballer, as, as ambitious to be a footballer, as driven as as others were. And you know, I, I think that's probably fair to you know, it's fair to question that, wonder about that. Um, from the time he arrived in Manchester, because you know, he found it difficult in Manchester. He was homesick, he didn't particularly like the sort of regimented aspect of, of, uh, of being an apprentice and all this sort of thing. And it's, um, you know, he, he did seem to struggle, as, as quite a lot of kids do, to be honest. Going from a small town in Northern Ireland at 16, just to being a professional footballer and Doing that as a job rather than playing for fun, which is what he always enjoyed. And he was this you know, fun loving personality, which means that um, he probably was 
pure talent uh, a lot of the time that, that, that was propelling him towards the first league. Trained very hard, but you know, he wasn't thinking about football 24 7. He wasn't um, losing sleep over, over how he would play in training the next day. He had other things going on in his mind, and, uh, and yet it's funny. I, 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 I started to convince myself that maybe he just wasn't cut out to be a football And then I said, to, I said that to Gary Neville of all people. I thought Gary Neville would be the type of person who would say, if he thought something about the, the toughness or hardness of being a pressure footballer. Gary Neville said, no, look, he was, you know, he might have been a different personality to, to some of us, but on the pitch, he was a tough looking sergeant. It was Gary Neville's, um, Phrase, you know, he was incredibly brave as a footballer, incredibly uh, aggressive as a winger. Always wanted to take people on. Always wanted to fly into tackles. Always wanted to, to receive the ball and run at people and get kicked, get kicked, pick him up, pick himself up again, and go again. And everybody, without exception, besides that physical bravery, that, that that courage that he had, in addition to his talent. So. Although I guess it was a pure talent that, 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 that took him as far as it was, it wasn't, it wasn't really one of these, um, you know, players who, who was a, a lesser talent who got it the first team on, on, on determination alone. He, he was a talent and the range of qualities he had, including that toughness on the pitch, was um, seemingly put him right up there with Ryan Giggs. Yeah, you mentioned Gary Neville there. It seems like he's just the the, the complete opposite of someone who who has freely admitted himself that he wasn't as talented as Giggs, but the determination got him there. He was completely focused on football, and Doherty is this incredibly talented individual who, as you say, questions can be asked whether he wanted it as much as he wanted these fantasy novels or, or busking in the centre of Manchester or the cliff. Um I've looked in my United sort of collection of books, uh, Gary Neville, Ferguson twice, Skulls, United Biography by Jim White, other stuff. There's more mention of Drogba, Paul Doherty, and Adrian's just never mentioned. It's not a cover-up, but is there a wariness by the club and players to talk about Doherty until now? Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This this issue has been picked up in some of the publicity that the book has got. It's, it's a question that I've asked. People will say, well, you know, why would he be mentioned? Because he was, he was a guy who, um, you know, he didn't play for the first team and, you know, he was just another lost talent. You know, there, there have been lost talents before, there, there will be lost talents again. Um, but I, I would say Doctor would be the extreme example of that because his talent was extreme because he was right at the front of that generation. He would have been in the first team ahead of Giggs uh, and sort of blazed the trail for all of them to follow. He was slightly older than Giggs, six months older than Giggs, uh, a year or two older than the last month or two. Um, so he, um, I think he would have been in the first team and then had he been in the first team, obviously two, he would have had a, he would have made more of an impression on people. But the the thing is, I've spoken. You know, I, I remember speaking to um, United players in the past, and sort of asking you know, who were the ones who didn't make it, who, who we don't know about. Who, who, nobody was saying Gary Neville was one of the most talented of, of 
classical fantasy, but, but who, were the, who were the real talents who didn't make it? And people would cite Ben Thornley, uh, who clearly was a real talent, I remember him, very, very good winger. Um, John O'Kane, very good talent, who, who didn't quite make it. Chris Casper, again. People would talk about George Switzer. Now, these were all classified to two, but people would talk about Jules Myrana, who was a couple of years younger, a couple of years older, late 80s, and he only played a couple of games, and he was a great talent as well. But it seems like Adrian has been the one who has never been mentioned. And I was, I began to think, well, look, there's something, there's something weird about this. What, why hasn't he been mentioned? And I spoke to Giggs, and, you know, it's not an easy question to ask somebody, somebody like Ryan Giggs, but I said, look, what? Why did you never mention him in, 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 your, in your books where you've talked about, you know, you talked about George Switzer and all these great talents who didn't make it, players that played alongside him. This is somebody who everybody admits was as talented as you and, and, and who not only was lost to the game, but, but died at the age of 26. So why was he never mentioned? And Giggs, I think he's perfectly honest, I think he said, you know, maybe it was just, Awkwardness because he didn't, know, he didn't really know what happened with Adrian's death. He didn't, he didn't know whether it was something that, um, whether it'd be sort of opening a can of worms by mentioning Adrian. And I suppose there a few others who, who suggested the same thing, but was, that there was this, not that it was taboo or, you know, not that it was an attempt to airbrush him from history, but nobody really wanted to, to go there almost after Adrian died because, um, that, you know, they, they didn't really know the situation. They didn't know whether it was something they perhaps shouldn't be talking about. But now that this book is coming out, and I think probably a few of them had to think, well, is this, is this something we want to contribute to? And they did. You know, they, pretty much every player I, I approached was desperate to speak to me. Alex Ferguson sent a very nice letter about Adrian expressing very warm sentiments there. So, you know, I think once if you knew this book was coming out, uh, they, they couldn't stop themselves talking about it. Praise for him as a talent and as a personality and somebody who was so different to the rest of them. It's just, it's just effusive, it's warm, it's gushing, and you know, I'm really pleased to have been part of that process in, in helping to tell the story of um, this extraordinary talent, extraordinary guy who who has not been talked about for, for, for far too long. I've seen the BBC Newsline pieces on the, the Doherty book, and Giggs just, he looks enthusiastic when he's talking about him. So it's great that they're now being able to, to reveal such a, an interesting life. But are the family, because you, you've obviously had, I guess, the privilege of talking to Doherty's yeah. family, whereas no one else has done, uh, yeah. are they frustrated by what? At first, happened after Doherty's death and after his injury. Yeah, there, there was there, there was a, a period where where there was let's say a difference of opinion with, between his family and and, um, and the club. I don't really want to you know make a big deal of that. I've, I've had people suggesting that that's in the book in order to whip up some controversy to, to draw up sales. It's really not. It's just part of the story. It would have been disingenuous to leave that part of the story out. There were a series of um, conversations and strained conversations at times. It wasn't the family looking for compensation or anything like that. I think they just wanted the club to, to be more willing to put something out there about Adrian. 
to talk about and, and to sort of um, get rid of some of the sort of innuendo about about his um, his departure from Manchester United in '93 and his death in 2000. They, they they felt that the club could could help with that process. And was, the club and family were at cross purposes for a while, and um, but you know the, that. That sort of situation is, is over now. I think the family just took the view that, well, if they weren't going to get what they were looking for in terms of the story being told by the club, they, they, they would, um, you know, it so happened that I, I approached them around that time and said, do you fancy doing something in the Times? And then, um, then sort of snowballed into something far bigger and, it, and it's become a book and it, it's not, it really isn't about the story isn't about differences of opinion between the family and, and, and the club. The story is about Adrian's life, his personality, his talent, and uh, we'll talk about the talent, but there's excerpts of his um, poetry and his, his writing, his songs, and it's, it's trying to tell a, a tragic story, ultimately, in, in, in what I hope is a, a warm, affectionate, poignant manner. And uh, I think his writings far more a part of that than, um, than any sort of differences in opinion that the family might have had with the club in the past. Yeah, it's a, it's a more of a, a celebration of uh, such a, a unique individual. Is So is that how the the book came about, just from originally an article and then, as you said, snowballing? Or was the, the idea for the book planted when you found out about Doherty? Yeah, it was... I'm sorry, but I'll, I'll try to get it reasonably short. It was February 2011, so five years ago. Um, I was actually doing an article on um, Ryan Giggs because it was coming up to 20 years since Giggs made his debut in March, 19, uh, March of 21. Um, and I was speaking to, rather than doing the usual sort of celebration of 20 years, what I thought I'd do is go back in time, speak to people who had um, sort of coached him when he, was, when he was young and people who played alongside him on the Really, the events leading up to his debut in '91. One of the players of Spence, who former Western players, said to me, "Do you know about Doc? Do you know about Adrian Doherty? And the name just figured, you know, rang the most distant bell in my mind. I, I just, I just knew the name Adrian Doherty. I didn't, I didn't you know anything about more, but because um, I've got that kind of memory where I do, I do remember a lot of." Names of obscure footballers from that generation, and um, and I, you know, he told me the bare facts of what he thought happened, you know, the, the injury that stopped him making it, the, the fact he died a few, you know, a few years later. And I, I, I googled Adrian Doherty and found almost nothing. You know, at that time, I mean, there's plenty more now than publicity that has been around the book, but, but at that time, there was almost nothing beyond a. a Online tribute that one of his former coaches in Northern Ireland had, had done, which included a couple of newspaper clippings, one from the Manchester Evening News in March 1990 when he was, he was on the verge of his first team debut as a 16 year old, the other as a um, piece from the Derry Journal in 2000 telling the story of his accident in The Hague in Holland. And I just thought, God, what, what on earth happened in those 10, ten years in between? Why do I not? You know, when I think I know so much about you know, that generation of Manchester United, I've written so much. Why do I not know that story? Why is this story not known? 
And so I eventually um, tracked um, his family down, went to the parish priest that stripped down, um, and um, because finding a finding a doherty in the phone book for stripped down is uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's a bit um, but it's um, so I, I spoke to, to, to Jimmy, Adrian's father, and made an arrangement to go over there and see them. And they were saying well, that we, we're not sure what article in the Times or anything, we're not sure what we're going to do. Um, but by all means, come over and, and we'll be happy to, to talk to you, even if it's off the record. And I said, I thought I'd take a chance. And, Went over and met them, and you know, I, I went there thinking I was going away, you know, to, just to talk about a, 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 a lost football talent. But I came away with all these stories that they'd all told me about his, his busking and his poetry and his, his sort of life in Preston and his life in Galway, and, and I just thought this is well, I thought this is, this will make an incredible article in Times if I'm able to do it, but. Um, I also came away thinking, you know, is this a big as a book? And um, I'm glad to say that finally, you know, nearly five and a half years later, it is a book. It's, a, it's one of, that has been a, a privilege to tell that story because it's, um, I, I, I it's a unique story, really. There, there, are, there are many stories of play, young players who, who um, don't make it for various reasons. Injuries, the common one, Paul Lake's book about being on the threshold of England honours at Manchester City. Um, that, 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 is, that is a wonderful book. There are books about players who, who suffer tragedy, or Ronald Rain, the um, German. Um, Sorry, no, Rob Enk. Ronald Rag is the, the ghost of Rob Enk, the, um, the, um, the, the German goalkeeper who died at a young age, got depression, took his life. That is an incredibly powerful book. Then there are books about um, you know, people who are, well, what, what I don't think there are many books about people in the football industry who are different, who write poetry and write um, music and, and this kind of thing, go, go busting up their match days. It's, to, to be able to weave that story into the long-established narrative of Manchester United's one history in the class of 92, it felt quite incredible to me. It felt like it was um, almost like a fictional story because it was weaving him into a well-established narrative and yet everything, everything in there is, is true. And you've got like Ryan Giggs and Gary Neville talking about this contemporary affairs in such gushing terms when they've never really spoken about it before. So it's, it is a, I, I do feel like it's a unique story and uh, hopefully one that people enjoy. Yeah, just adding to the history of another sort of incredible thing because United have so many different stories to other clubs and that's part of the attraction. It's, it's another incredible story. One of the saddest things is that had he suffered the cruciate ligament injury that he did in the early 90s. If he'd suffered that now, he probably could have returned to United and, and professional football within a year. Some people don't recover from it, but he could have reached a level that he was set to or meant to because of his talent. So, so much about timing, so much about being with Ryan Giggs and the class of 92, so much about suffering an injury at the wrong time, 
so much about going to the Hague and, as you say, falling into the river. The, you mentioned that in a in a separate interview that the police report suggests it's not due to uh, alcohol or drugs or suicide. He, it, there's so much about timing in Dotti's life, and had he suffered this cruciate ligament injury now, he could have been this genius that he was meant to be. Yeah, um, I mean, look, look you talk about cruciate. Injuries. The, the, the problem is not many players come back better, but but, but many but many players do come back. Often players rely on explosive pace, come back, and something in their game is gone. But when they suffer injury like that, has happened often. So about players who came back as strong from Christian injuries. We talk about perhaps Roman uh, Vidic, uh, perhaps Joaquin, perhaps Van Nistelrooy, United terms, but. Players who have relied on pace generally have struggled to come back. Players who suffered that injury in the early 90s, 1991, almost always struggled to come back. And I spoke to Jules Tumayarana, who I mentioned earlier, who um, he suffered cruciates around the same time and recover either. Um, ben Thornley, who suffered a, I would say, even worse injury to the actual incident. He suffered that just a few years later and was at least able to recover sufficiently. Like a few games to have a career. But as the years have gone on, expertise has grown, social procedures have improved, and um, injuries are treated better. So you could, you could look at, back at Adrian's story and say that it was, it was nearly 12 months from the initial injury to when he was operated on. The question whether that was right and whether that was the right thing to do, and the, the family of questions and doubts about that. Um, looking back now, an awful lot of things would be done, would have been done very differently, but it's, um, to say it was pure misfortune because I, everything, everything I've been told tells me that he would have made the first team squad, um, the following week for a game against Everton when, uh, a young man could run into Everton. He was a brilliant talent and it was a pleasure to play with him at that time, um, because he was one of them players where you just watch him do something in training. And you just uh, you, you end up smiling to yourself because you can't believe what 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 you've just seen. We need to let you go soon, but a quick, uh, a small bit on the current Manchester United. That lost genius term could be used to describe us in in some way. <laughs> Tough season as a as a fan. Um, not quite at its conclusion yet. Still the last game, incredibly to play, and the cup final. Firstly, you were there at Old Trafford on Sunday. Uh, Brilliant from the United Security and Great Manchester Police, wasn't it? It's so efficient and calm. Well, it, it, it was the incident itself was was extremely well handled. I was very impressed by that. The police um, did extremely well. The club did extremely well on the day. Um, as for what has come, come to light since about the uh, about it actually being a training device that was left there by accident at a training exercise, you know, so it's just mind boggling that that that, that, that happens. Encouraging that the, the that there are these training events, it's, it's encouraging that you know that, that once this device was well, left, that it was found again. But I struggle to work out how that actually happened. It's, it's uh, you know people are saying, well, is that symptomatic? Everything that's wrong at Chelsea these days, I wouldn't go that far because it seems like it was a it was an external company, but. Um, is it, is it symptomatic of everything that's happened at United? No, but it seems strangely active. Also seems strangely active. Uh, realistic looking, but not viable. But 
Yeah, the best thing we can say is that it's good that we've managed to come out of a, a bomb threat laughing about it. On to the football side of things. It's been three seasons now. Um, not trophyless. We could still win the cup, but without challenging for the title properly, a sustained challenge. We've had a few weeks at the top. Um, it's now been eight years since we won the Champions League. We won the double. Ronaldo, Tevez, Rooney, then we brought in Berbatov, but there's been a distinct lack of investment since 2005. We replaced Ronaldo with Obertan and Antonio Valencia, uh, the latter who has been a good servant to the club, but is not Cristiano Ronaldo. How long could it take to reach such heights again? Um, it could, because it, it, it's looking like it could be a long spell now because of quite a lot of indecision on the, the board. Yeah, it's not just indecisions. Doing things on daft whims, doing them for the wrong reasons, and doing them because you need to prioritise sitting in Edward Wood's eyes, seeing that it's, it's as important to sign famous players or, or pursue famous players, spend time pursuing famous players, but you would be marking signs and make a great impact commercial, rather than just doing what United have, have always done, which is, which is um, sign if you look at the, you, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the the, the, the Glazer point and the, the the lack of investment over over the past decade um, since you know the Glazer ownership. Because sure, it's a lot of money, but relative to what the money United have and the money that United have spent propping up uh, that regime, it's not a lot of money. And it's probably only in the last two summers that, that United have begun to spend big big money. Uh, status and resources and bought at the top end of the market, inflated the top end of the market, sort of questionable deals. But it's not so much the spending, it's the, you know, the, the expenditure now that's the concern. It's, it's, the, it's the lack of knowledge, it's the lack of vision. I, I've been saying this from, from the start, from when, from when Moyes took over from Ferguson, from when Woodward took over from Gilbert, the, 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 the shrewd way that they spent money previously. Yes, there was some bad buyers, but there was always a real sense of purpose to what they were doing. And now everything just, it's kid in a sweet shop stuff. Kid playing football manager on his, on his PC and thinking, oh god, I, I mean, the son kind of heard of. And they're just panicking at, 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 the, last, at the end of the transfer window, just, oh god, what are we going to do? Um, so the transfer policy strategy has been reflective of the, um, on-pitch philosophy, i.e. it's been very hard to work out precisely what it is. It's been very unconvincing. You look at what's been the plus marks this season. The Haya, yes, that goes without saying. Martial, who was, you know, uh, I would still say he was overpriced because he should never have cost um, 58 million or projected 58 million pound fee to, uh, to sign a player that, that was available for about 20 earlier in the summer when one again and tried to clear the decks. And you would look at people like Rashford and, and um, Fossil Mensah who exceeded all expectations. But apart from that, you know, even when you were to take three years, never mind the, the one year, it's just been, it's been so dreary, so dull. Results have been poor, but performance has been even worse. And it would be possible to accept one without the other. United might finish level on points with Man City, but Man City have been awful and they're going to change their Manager and White. So, United will finish with maximum of 66 points and 46 goals for 37 games. So, fewer than Sunderland and two more than Bournemouth. 
two more than Newcastle. They've been dire at times. They've improved in terms of what they've been doing functionally in the second half of the season since then. Awful middle periods. But even if you were to take the relatively encouraging first few months, the relatively encouraging last few months, I just don't think it's good enough for Manchester United. I don't think Brad Harlow's really had a firm sense of what he's doing from the very start. And they just have to change it. I've never been a fan of the Mourinho idea for United because I think United are a club with aspirations in terms of style and in terms of youth that Mourinho is not the type of manager to meet. But if you're not delivering performances or results or, or flair, um, then perhaps you just settle for somebody who can guarantee great results. Yeah, because um, uh, the, the, the small periods of, of I don't know, happiness among United fans it breeds this idea that the expectations, despite Van Gaal saying they're still too high, incredibly, the expectations have been lowered by United. And although it's not deliberate, the fans have this thing where we now beat Arsenal or Tottenham and we're delighted. But really, what happened to the, the Roy Keane quote of lads is Tottenham? You know, I mean, United are going to finish, I suppose, if you look at the way Spurs finished, you know, United could end up within four points of Spurs. And yet that, that is flattering of United because United have never looked like a team that would challenge the title season. I know Van Gaal says, oh, we were, we were first in November and everyone was saying we were great and then we got their victories. Well, I certainly wasn't saying they were great. <laughs> People like uh, Paul Scholes and Gary Neville and Rio Ferdinand, um, who are ex-players and have the club's best interests at heart, great understanding of, of what the club stands for. Um, they weren't saying it was great. What fans weren't saying it was great. What media weren't saying it was great. I think they were stopped for about 24 hours, was it? I can't remember. Winning at Watford. I don't know. He seems to think that everything is good apart from the fact that they, um, that they had some injuries in the middle period of the season. And he seems to not to realise that those injuries were compounded by the fact that he's only really had very limited options at centre forward all season, which was, which was by choice or by design or by lateral. The lack of options at fullback because you've got Luke Shaw injured are exposed by the fact that you've only got one left back, you've only got one right back, and you seem not to trust. Glenty's not a right back, Phil Jones is a right back, Ashley Young isn't a right back or a left back. It's, the squad has been, you know, the, the squad, even back in August, you just thought, well, what on earth have they been doing? And what on earth have they felt they needed this season? Well, I still thought they'd get top four. You know, really should have top four, but it's, it's not even the points total which has been miserable that would concern me. It's the, it's the 46 goals in 37 games. It's the sheer joylessness and lack of progress in the way they play. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, Van, Van Gaal will, will turn around and they win the FA Cup on Saturday and say, oh, not such a bad season at all, eh? And it's just isn't good enough. Just the same as it isn't good enough these days for Man City over to the League Cup. And I am one of those people who would rather win a cup than finish second. Third. But there has to be a great, you know, it has to be, winning the cup has to also be some kind of, uh, you know, illustration of, of the team moving in the right direction. And, um, it just isn't the case of United. It just isn't the case of Man City under Pellegrini. They need change. Uh, they get Guardiola. United need change. Wouldn't it be great for United's point of view if they were getting Guardiola? But, um, but no, they, they didn't get Guardiola because, uh, they were outflanked by City. Around the time that that deal was done, uh, P. 
people at the top of the club were telling journalists at private briefings, oh, we've got no concern, Louis's a genius. Well, I think, was, I think Louis was a, an extremely good manager, one of the best in Europe, in, in world football in the 90s. I think he's somebody who has developed his philosophy to probably adapt to, to changing times, but, but, it, but it is an old-fashioned philosophy. Straight lines, it's not 4 2 it's this slow-moving 4-1-4-1. And even when they've got players like Martial or Ashford who are quick, the team itself moves slowly. The number of times I've been impressed by, by United in the last three years since Ferguson's retirement, now, the number of really good performances you could count on things with one hand. Certainly in the last two seasons, were actually some relatively decent performances. I've always not getting any credibility by saying that. But people would say, I remember saying this to the United fans, they said, well, we beat Liverpool 3-1 in September. Now, that was a dire match when both teams were awful. I think, you know, the, United scored three with three shots. Liverpool scored one with one shot. They were beautiful goals, uh, all of them. So the, the Martial one in particular, but uh, that, that single goal uh, seemed to be the highlight of United's season. And then it was as if um, Van Hal got <laughs> Van Hal got into him and uh, took some of the flair out of him for, for a few months. But uh, Martial has, has come again and had a, had a good end to the season. Um, he's a great talent and a great prospect. And, uh, I suppose he's been the uh, he rather than even winning the FA Cup would be the, the silver lining in a in a dark dark cloud of season. Yeah, there's a few a, a few bright sparks this season: Martial, Rashford, Fosimensa, Borthwick, Jackson, and a few others. And there there is hope for the future. And as bad as on-field issues have been, it's still the off-field, the Glazers, Woodward, that has been even more frustrating for United. And it's incredible given how dire on-field performances we must let you go now thank you very much for coming on manchester united weekly podcast uh we really appreciate it and your new book is out on may the 19th for the young about adrian doherty the lost genius and in deansgate manchester if you're listening there uh there's an event on thursday at waterstones 7 p.m i think you need to buy tickets for that and in Derry at eastern's foilside at 2 p.m on tuesday may the 24th so get down to there if you're in either there. Thank you very much for joining us, Oli. Thank you very much. Thank you for that wonderful and wonderfully accurate plug. That's, uh, that's, uh, it's almost like I sent it to you in advance, which I didn't. Um, but uh, no, the, I, I, I would love people to buy the book, not because, not not for reasons of ego or anything like that, but I, I just think, I think they will love the story of, of Avian. I know it's a sad story, but it's probably just a, a completely different story about the, about a different Manchester United player, incredible talent, who probably um, had the talent that uh, stardust that the crying out for. A truly unique footballer, a, a truly unique man, in all honesty, and so sad that he died aged 26, just before his 27th birthday. So thank you for listening to that special interview with the Times' chief football correspondent and author of the new book, Forever Young, about Adrian Doherty, the lost genius, I suppose it's only appropriate to leave you with Adrian Doherty doing what, arguably, he may have loved best, singing, and this clip is via YouTube. Thank you very much for listening to this extra episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.